the marriage of death and spirituality. This is Ask a Deaf Doula. Hi everyone, it's Suzanne O'Brien. I want to remind you that the Universal Life Mastery free masterclass is coming up. If you would like to join that and learn all things about the spirituality and how at the bedside of end of life patients, it is never more prominent. And I want to share everything that I've learned so you can make the most out of this life. The link is below. The webinar is coming up soon. It will be live. And if you attend live, you're going to get my free masterclass on what I do for my morning routine. So the link is below. ULM. We'll see you there. Welcome to the marriage between death and spirituality. Yes, I did say that. This is one of the most empowering, positive, exciting conversations probably we could ever have regarding the space of end of life and life. And I want to share with you everything again in this section because it changes your life today and it, we're here for a reason. Every single one of us is here for a reason and has a purpose. And many times you'll hear, well, you know, how do I find my purpose? How do I find my purpose? And I absolutely understand that. But I want to share with you that I don't think it's a question of finding it, looking outside of yourself. I feel like it's a question of aligning with your purpose. And there's a huge difference there. So it's not going outside, it's going within. And when you go within and you can learn how to listen and reconnect with your spiritual being part of you, all the answers are there. All of the guidance is there. All of the wisdom is there. And all of the peace that we're all looking for is there. So it's not outside. It's inside. And that's what I want to talk to you today about the marriage between death and spirituality. If I may just take a minute and share with you, my name is Suzanne O'Brien. I am a former hospice nurse, which is end-of-life nurse, working at the bedside with those at the end of life, and oncology nurse, which is cancer nurse. And I am the founder and creator of the International Doula Givers Institute. The minute that I started working with people at the end of life, my life totally changed. It opened up on layers and levels that I never thought possible. It's, it's almost as if there is this unbelievable, magical flow of blessings and connection and abundance and love to my life that continues to unfold as long as I stay in that alignment. And that goes back to what I first opened the podcast with. It's not finding your purpose. It's aligning with your purpose. And that's an energetic state of being. So let me talk to you a little bit about the experiences that I've had at the end of life. I've always felt that I've had a very strong connection to, connection to my being part. I, I've always known from a little child that there's something more to this journey. But as we know, I think all of us do. I think when we look back to our young years and, you know, having wonder and awe of little things of, you know, um, watching a... Um, butterfly and being out in nature and feeling connected to all things, uh, which is really the truth that we're all connected. And then we go through life and we tend to lose that. And many times we go through experiences that shut us down and we build up this armor around us so that we don't get hurt again and that we make sure 
you know, that I'm not going to get hurt again. So I'm going to have these walls up and I'm going to, you know, really keep people at a distance and, and keep risk at a distance and keep trust and faith and those those moments of going into up the unknown at a distance so I don't get hurt, right? And then that just creates this prison around us that will keep us in this prison to the very end if we're not careful. And I want to share this with you is that they say that death is the number one fear in the world. And I've been honored and privileged to work with over a thousand people at the end of life. And I'll tell you this, I don't think that it is the fear of the actual death. I think it's the fear that they lived a life that now they are given a actual time frame that their life will end in a couple of weeks, couple of months, and their time is up and they didn't live the life they know that they were here supposed to live, the purpose that they came in to achieve, to give, to, to help with the contribution of expansion to leave the world a better place because they were in it. We all have a purpose. We're all here for a reason. And that's the regret, is being on the deathbed in your self-imposed, isolated prison, walking through life, sleepwalking. And then, and because we don't live with the awareness, there's a few things that are happening here. We're not living today in a culture and society with the awareness that one day death will be a part of this journey. And when we treat death as optional and when we, tr- we don't talk about it, it's going to show up. And when it does show up, people have all this regret and also very complicated levels of the actual end of life process because they haven't thought about it. But it's really the regret that, oh my goodness, it's actually here. And I didn't have the courage to step out of my comfort zone to follow my heart, to take the risk into the unknown where all the magic happens and now my time's up. Do not let this be you. Do not let this be you. So we're going to talk a little bit about what my patients have shared with me. So I want to share that with you. And then I'm going to give you a technique that you can use um, to really understand how to, again, access the being part of yourself and align with your purpose, not find your purpose, align with it because it's always been there. It's inside of you. It's just waiting for you to have the courage to tap into it, to let go of the ego, to really you put your faith in that surrender and that trust of that higher vibration love state. So for me, when I started working with those at the end of life, right away, I saw things that just were incredible. I felt things that were incredible and my patients would share things that they saw, that they felt, that they know, that they know as they got very close to that actual time of death. So I was like sitting with people bedside and sometimes for days or even weeks visiting them and I would literally see as this person was approaching their end of life, I would see their physical body diminishing, right? Just changing and going down and I'd see their spiritual body growing and there's one place in the journey that they get what I call their spiritual eyes or spiritual wisdom so we are all holistic beings we are all four bodies of energy you and me right now we are physical mental emotional and spiritual equal parts 
most of us don't know that. We think, okay, well, we're the physical part, you know, maybe the body and the brain. But we are four bodies of energy and they all require different nourishment um, and they all have different uh, things that they do. And so as that physical body is diminishing at the end of life, the spiritual body is growing. And again, there is one point in their end of life journey where they have one foot in this world and one foot in the next. And this is where they get that spiritual wisdom or their spiritual eyes. And what, what I call spiritual wisdom is when I'm sitting with people bedside and they wake up from a nap and they have all this new information. Many like they sit up and they go, I get it now. I understand why all that happened traumas, anger, unresolved issues that they could not understand what happened and why those things happened in their life. They all of a sudden have all the clarity through a different lens of perspective from a higher place of that spiritual wisdom. And they're able to look back at those life events and understand what the gift, what the teaching, what the blessing was within them and when we're in the human ego part as the dominant part because you're a human being when we're operating which most of us by the way 95 percent of the time we're operating in the human ego uh, part of us when we're operating day to day in that space we can't see the higher meaning to things that are being experienced in our lives. And look, let's be very honest. Many of them are painful and challenging, right? But when we can look at it for the opportunity that it is offering us to, to evolve, to, to gr have a greater sense of consciousness, to have a higher level of spiritual wisdom within the experience of being a human being, not waiting to the end of life, so that happens organically. So that's just an energetic, organic thing that's going to happen as the physical body is diminishing, the spiritual body is growing. People are going back to what they call home, to that one consciousness. So now they're dissolving the human part. All those, those prison walls are dissolving and, and removing and the wisdom's coming in and it's just magnificent to witness. But you and I can practice this now. We can get, if we have the understanding... If we know how this works and if we do the practice, we can tap into that higher wisdom now, today. Why wouldn't we? So there's wisdom and there's spiritual eyes that people get at the end of life. The wisdom is the clarity, the understanding, the shift in removing those blocks of anger or hurt or shame or guilt or whatever they are and now saying, I understand it all. It was all to support the evolution of my soul self, my consciousness, giving me the opportunity for that growth that comes from those circumstances. And I honestly believe that the more challenging and painful those actual experiences are is directly related to the amount of growth that we can achieve. So I wanna honor you. And I know that so many of us go through really painful experiences. This is the school of life. This is what it's supposed to be. But I honor you for going through them to challenge, to, to give yourself that opportunity so that you can find that soul growth within this experience. It's giving yourself that chance. 
And we don't always get there and we definitely don't get there right away because we have to kind of go through those different emotions of, you know, maybe shock and anger and, and all of it. And then hopefully on the other side, we find forgiveness and we find a way to look at this differently and release the experience and the energetic attachment we have to it and allow ourselves to just shine in that spiritual energetic space that we have that's really our true self. So it's really magnificent to watch people at the end of life. The spiritual wisdom is those aha moments, all that information that they get. My personal theory is that they go back and forth before they fully leave. And why do I say that? Because people have woken up with all this information and literally said where they're going and literally said, you know, I understand now. And it's, it's something that there's no, there's no way there's any other explanation. And also what being with people who, if they've had fear or resistance, um, and of course, you know, we go through different phases at the end of life of, of shock and stabilization and then the transition. If they've had um, worry and fear, anything that's along those lines, when they get to this space, it's, it's the absolute opposite. So not only is it the removal of the fear of them having their end of life or where they're going, but it's, it's actual excitement. And I'm going to tell you a story about that um, shortly. So when I was working with people at the end of life, and again, I'm going to share with you stories, some from being a very young hospice nurse, um, so I didn't have any background in this. Nothing, nothing was taught to me about end of life. I, when I became a hospice nurse and I followed my heart to that, by the way, I had no end of life experience, which I'd love to share because it didn't make any analytical sense. It didn't make any mental mind sense. And if I had, you know, everyone says, well, make a list of, you know, reasons, pros and cons of why you want to do something and then weigh them out. It would have been an absolute no. There was no reason I was a nurse. I was working in the hospital and if I went to, I kept hearing this voice, go to hospice, go to hospice. And every time I heard it, there was a feeling of aliveness. There was a feeling of connectedness that I had never felt before. And I didn't know why I was hearing this, where this voice was coming from, where this guidance was coming from. But I knew when I thought about working with those at the end of life and their families, I felt such a peace. Um, that I had never felt before. And after hearing this and knowing that I wasn't really happy, I had moments of happiness. I loved caring for patients, but unfortunately in our medical system today, you have very actual little time with the actual patient. So I thought there has to be something more. You know, there has to be something more. I said, I'm just going to follow. I don't know what this calling is or this guidance is. I just want to follow this. And I know that it took me a few times to get into hospice with no experience. And again, I'd be leaving a job as a nurse with better benefits, better pay, better hours to go to become a hospice nurse with no end of life experience, like makes no sense analytically at all, but I still did it. And I'm so glad that I did. And I, the very first day that I went out to see hospice patients, I knew I was in the exact place I was supposed to be in, in my life. It was like a piece of puzzle fitting. It's almost like I could breathe for the first time. Everything made sense. Everything felt connected and loved. And I felt like the wealthiest woman in the world, um, finding, aligning with my purpose. And when I look back on those days, I literally um, made the least amount of actual money that I've ever made. Um, 
I had a, you know, a falling down 1861 old Victorian house because I wanted to put my, I was a single mother, wanted to put my son in a house. What was I thinking? Um, the only house I could afford was a fixer up or broken down. And yeah, we didn't have a lot of heat in the winter. Like it was when I look back on it and I want to tell you, it was the wealthiest experience of my life because I was so connected to something so much greater than myself. I had aligned with my purpose. All of those other circumstances were circumstances. I had found it. I felt so alive, so rich, so wealthy. It was just incredible. And we all have the ability to do that. And so when I worked, started working with hospice patients right away, there were a few things that I noticed. And one, and this was interesting, when I first started, um, probably a couple of months in, maybe even a couple of weeks, probably a couple of months into hospice care. I didn't work for a very large hospice that was all over a certain county. And I remember that there was a nurse who wanted to go on vacation and she needed coverage. And I really didn't feel comfortable. First of all, I knew nothing about end-of-life disease physiology or disease processes. And especially if I was taking patients that I had to go see that I had no background in. It was very, very intimidating to me. She, you know, she just begged me to take her uh, call, I mean, to do it. And I was like, okay, well, how can I really say no? Um, so I remember going in to see this woman. She was probably about 42 years old. She had a diagnosis of end-stage ALS. She had this beautiful long brown hair and she was so young. And I remember coming in to see her and she was so advanced in her process that um, she couldn't speak, she couldn't, she couldn't walk, she couldn't speak. Uh, she couldn't even hold her head up. So she was sitting on the couch with a pillow behind her head that was hold, propping up her head. And I remember coming in to see her and they had um, a whiteboard in front of her with letters, like magnetic letters that you could try and have her blink and spell out words. It was just something I had never experienced before. She had one 17-year-old daughter who was slamming, coming in and out of the house and slamming doors. And I can totally understand that. You know, here her mom's dying. It was just so heavy. But here's what I want to say to you. So I was trying to communicate with this woman and I was doing the talking and I was trying to get her to blink with answers. And at one point her head had fallen to the side and she could not lift it back up. So here she was with her head like a rag doll, with her head to the side. And I asked her if I could, and I was approaching her and I asked her if I could pick her head back up and put it on the pillow. And I was really scared. This had never, I'd never experienced. I didn't even know what I was walking into that day. And I remember, you know, I, I was saying to her, can I, and I was walking over to her and she had the most beautiful, loving smile that she was shining so much love and tenderness on me. She was taking care of me. And I thought to myself, Here's a woman who is dying at 42 years old with ALS, who's paralyzed, can't hold her head up. Her daughter is slamming the doors and kind of yelling in the house. And how can she, what is this beautiful smile that she's shining upon me? So this is again, now that I am a seasoned end of life practitioner, I understand that people reconnect with their spiritual side of their being as they get closer to the time of death. And it brings them such happiness, such peace, such excitement. 
And that's what she was doing. So this unconditional loving energy that they talk about us all being part of is what this woman was experiencing, that she could have this um, ability to be caring for me and just being in this place of, of such loving grace at this moment. So I understand what that was. And then there was another... So that is, again, we talked about spiritual wisdom, and I want to talk to you about spiritual eyes. There is a very common thing that happens at the end of life where people will talk about loved ones who've already died or even angelic figures seeing them in their, in their room, seeing them with them. And I'm told that they come to help cross them over. What a beautiful thing this is. Think about this. If death is the number one fear in this world, if we talked about the truth about it, if we knew about the real way that end of life is experienced, and we talked about this part where people see their loved ones, angelic figures, this loving energy at the end, helping to cross us back over, would we ever be afraid? Or would we allow death to be our greatest teacher about life? We would absolutely let it be our greatest teacher about life. So people tend to see, uh, and again, let's go back to the four bodies of energy, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Is the physical body is diminishing the spiritual part of their being. Their human part is diminishing. Their being part is growing. It's an energetic state. It's a vibrational level of frequency. It makes perfect sense that people who've died before are able to access. They have one foot in this world now, one foot in the next. They're able to see us and they're able to see them. Makes perfect sense. And how beautiful this is that I'm told that they're here to help cross them over. No one ever dies alone. No one ever dies alone. Hold that in your heart. And so I want to talk to you about a little boy that I was able to take care of as a hospice nurse. By the way, one of my hardest um, end-of-life experiences ever. So this was a, an interesting case. Again, I did not work for a very, very large hospice. It had people that we cared for all over a county in New York, upstate New York. And I remember there was, I had recently got back from my volunteer trip to Zimbabwe, Africa. I had went over there. And so I did not have a um, list of patients that were mine at this point when I had just gotten back. And I remember coming to the office and they had just gotten a little boy on hospice services, which is not always common because children who are at the end of life are usually in those wonderful um, hospitals that are designed to take care of children and their families. However, this little boy um, the story was that he had gotten a brain tumor diagnosis, glioblastoma, when he was two years old. He was just turning five now, and he, his cancer was back. And everyone had very high censuses, so all the hospice nurses that I worked with had a very full rosters, 12, 14 patients. Everyone knew the heaviness that this case would um, come with because it's a child, absolutely. Um, and nobody wanted to take this case. And so I really felt obligated. Um, I love children. I feel like I do have this way of being with children just in that being, because they are. They're very in touch with their being part of them. And I, and I know that I am as well, that I understand that. And I understand um, that they're not just children. They're, they're beings in, the, in, this, in this little body. 
Anyway, I really felt obligated to offer to take this this uh, child, even though the person, the child lived in a whole different uh, territory than mine. It would be an hour plus drive each way. Um, and so I said, I volunteered to take this child if they would, uh, the nurse in that territory would back me up if I needed it. And everyone was like, great, of course, absolutely. Well, the first day, so if, I want to share two things that happened the first visit that I happened. So I came to um, have the first visit with the social worker. I was the hospice nurse. The mother was there, the father was there, and the little boy was there. And when we came in, this little boy was probably about looking like physically like a two and a half year old, even though he was five from his disease process, but he was paralyzed at this point. The tumor in his brain had hit his brain stem and he was paralyzed. So he was on the couch um, with his head on a pillow on his mom's lap and his father was there and myself and the social worker. And two things that were very interesting that happened. One of the things that happened, and I did not know that he had had a younger brother at the time. And one of the things that happened is halfway during our meeting, the au pair came in with the brother who was three years old. And this little boy um, ran through the house, ran through the kitchen, ran into the living room where we were. And I was sitting with my back to where he was running into the living room. And his mother was sitting across from me. And so this little boy comes in, you know, three-year-olds, right? Comes in, circles around my chair, climbs up my body, right? And then puts his head right on my shoulder. And as he's doing this, this all happens really quickly. As this little boy is coming, climbing up the chair, daddy's going, his father's going, that's not mommy, that's not mommy, that's not mommy, right? And this little boy, just like a glue, he's just, he just climbed up, grabbed onto me, put his head on my, sh on my shoulder. And then as his father's, his, his father's like, that's not mommy, that's not mommy. He just lifts his little head, looks up at me, and then just climbs down me, slide, like slides down me. And when he looked up at me, he didn't look at, up at me and say, oh my God, that's not mommy. He just looked up at me and then slid down me and then went off running. It has always been a knowing of mine that this little boy knew why I was there, that I was going to be of help, and there was a resonance of energy between him, myself, and also his brother, which I'm going to get to in a minute. So I often will talk about one of the most important things as you um, meet your end-of-life patients that you're going to be there to support and serve is building trust. And I knew that this was especially important with this little boy. Um, and so one of my main goals was to build the trust, to let him know that I was there to help, not only help him, but to help his family at this time. And at the end of our meeting, and so you do that, right, with listening and with your presence and all of the things, just open your heart to be of the highest service. You can never go wrong when you do that. And at the end of the visit, this little, little man, right, he said he did this little whisper and his mother had a really good way of knowing what he was saying. And she said, what are you saying? And he said to her, I want to show her my secret closet. And so his mother said, he wants to show you his secret closet. And she picked him up with the pillow and he started crying because he started getting pain. And then we sort of just ended our meeting. And that always struck me. 
he wanted to show me his secret closet. And this, this case lasted about three and a half weeks. It seemed like three and a half years. It was the one, you know, probably the most difficult and not so much for the young boy. So yes, symptom management and yes, what we had to do for him, but the heaviness of having parents watch their child have an end of life is the hardest thing that you could ever go through. So make, and this, and I have to say that this actually, this case ended up as beautifully as it possibly could under the circumstances, everything just lined up. I don't know how that happens, but at the end, we talked about him saying about his secret closet and his parents and his grandfathers were like, I, we didn't know he had a secret closet. We don't know what that was about. And I do. Your knowing and your intuition is one of your best diagnostic tools. And I know that he was telling me that he had a secret closet that I believe people, angels, whoever were caring for him, all of the above, were coming through this, what he, he interpreted his closet area, coming to care for him, coming to be with him, coming to make sure that he knew he wasn't alone. And so from old to young to people all over this experience is universal in all people that I've cared for in different cultures and religions. And it holds my heart in a place of, I'm able to care for those. People will say, how can you do this work? How can you care for those at the end of life? And I will tell you, how can we not? And also when you are privileged to be part of this sacred time, it'll change your life in the best way for absolutely ever and in every single way. I want to talk to you about an oncology patient that I had named Maureen. Maureen was somebody who was 44 years old and she had gallbladder cancer and she had come into the hospital because she had um, broken her hip because her bones had brittled from having chemotherapy. And so she, I was working the Friday, Saturday, Sunday shift in the oncology unit and she had come in, broken her hip on the Friday. And by the end of Saturday shift, I had moved her back from the bedside commode to her bed um, with just one step and pivot and she was out of breath. And I thought, you know, what is happening here? This was a new finding. There is nothing in her um, history or condition that she should be short of breath. And I remember when she sat on the bed and she was short of breath, we stopped for a minute, as I always will do to regain, you know, just the calibration of breathing. And then I said, I, you know, I said, Maureen, do you want oxygen? And she said, no, but we both in that moment knew that something very bad was happening here. And they told me that she kept shortness of breath all that night, Saturday night. They did some testing and they found out that she had a pulmonary emboli to her lung, a blood clot. And this is not a good thing. One of the things the nurse said the next day when she was giving me report is that one of the first things Maureen said when they told her she had a, a pulmonary emboli is that she said, Suzanne is going to be very mad about this. And I, of course I was, but she also knew how much I absolutely loved her. And I came in that Sunday and she was breathing heavy and it was not a good thing. And Sundays in the hospital are different than the, you know, Monday through Friday. So the doctors come in on a different schedule when it fits in there with the day. There's not the ancillary support systems that are there. So I remember the doctor came in at about three o'clock and she was like, what is happening? What is, what is going on? Short is like, what is happening? And we're like, you know, it's, it's not good. She can't, she's having trouble breathing. She has a pulmonary emboli. 
So I had a habit of walking and doing rounds with the doctor so I could hear what they're saying to patients and what the patients were absorbing from what the doctor was saying. And I remember as we walked in through the doorway of Maureen's hospital room, Maureen said to the doctor, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me. And I turned to look at the doctor's face and tears were rolling down the doctor's face. And in that moment, Maureen was telling us that she was going to die before any of us knew, knew about it. And obviously we came out to the nurse's station and the doctor was like, what can we, we have to do something. We have to do something. And there was nothing we could do. The only thing you could think about doing was putting a IV of blood thinners that would try and help to dissolve the clot. But because she had chemotherapy and her blood levels were so low and she had no clotting factors, she would have just bled out. There was nothing you could do. It was a terrible, terrible situation. And this is what I want to share to you. They had, we had a very small window. She had one 12 year old son. I asked if she wanted her son to come to the hospital. They were, I mean, these are very hard decisions and hard conversations, but you have a very short window to have them done. And I'll tell you, we can't go back and do them again. He did come, they had a great conversation, but this is what I want to share with you is that they told me on Sunday night at about 11 o'clock, Maureen woke up from a nap from sleep and said, get my sister, I'm transitioning with all of the excitement that you would have just told an eight-year-old child you're going to Disney World. The sister comes out of the nursing lounge. She comes into the hospital room, her room, and, and Maureen goes, I'm transitioning. I don't even know back in the day if I knew the word transitioning or if I used the word transitioning, but I have to ask you this. What did Maureen see in her sleep state that not only removed any fear of her end of life, but gave her all that excitement? So I want you to know this, that there is something that is waiting for us on the other side of this experience that I have no doubt is the most unbelievable, loving, beautiful experience that is existing. That's our being part of us. But I also want you to know this, that when we understand that we are human beings, that there are two main guidance systems within us. We're four bodies of energy, but there's two guiding systems. There's their analytic mental mind, ego, human, fearful, challenge all of it, jealousy, shame, guilt, I need to get it before someone else does, feeling very separate. Or there is the being part, the higher guidance, the knowing wisdom, the, the ability for when we tap into that to aligning with that inspired guidance that finds us in the path to our aligned purpose. We're all here for a reason. It's up to us to do the work, to align with that purpose and, and then be able to share that gift, to expand the consciousness, to expand um, the love that is a huge missing part of the world in which we're living in today. So when we do our individual work and growth, we, we do the collective work and growth. And it is just incredible. We're all here to do that. Life is a big deal and it's a wonderful deal. Get on with it. Find what you're here to do. Align with that purpose. 
you know, take that risk, step into the unknown. That's the only place you're going to access it. And it's very, very easy when you understand it and when you know the understanding, the tools and the ways that we practice to raise the frequency, to raise the vibration that attaches us to our soul self, to that spirit part when we're in the midst of the life experience itself, not waiting, not waiting till we're at the end of life, which by the way is where that regret happens because we didn't capitalize on the gift of this journey. We didn't, we didn't find and align with the purpose and we didn't achieve that expansion. The reason we know that we're here, the reason we know that we're here. So please don't be somebody that waits to the end of life and has those regrets. We want to capitalize it on it now. So I'm going to remind you and invite you to join me. It's happening very soon. The Universal Life Masterclass, where I'm going to give you the exact method and the exact technique and practice that I use every single day. And this is what I want you to know. I know this because I trusted back in that hospital experience, back in that time where I kept hearing, go to hospice, go to hospice. And literally, with blind faith, I said, I am just going to trust this. I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense. And I'm just going to trust this. And when I did, I knew that that is how life works. And I said that very day, I said, I am never making another decision in my life other than what do I know? Not what do I think? What do I feel? And what do I know? And if you have followed my journey at all, you know that I have now been gifted to be part of a global movement of the International Doula Givers Institute, working with people all over the world in so many different magical trainings and moments and offerings, because I keep just saying yes to the knowing of when something's in front of me. And so from that day in the hospital to today, and here's what I need you to know is that when I'm feeling, and if I get to a place where I'm feeling heavy or anxious or any of those things, I say, what it, where's my practice been? So I directly say, okay, what is my practice been in my meditation, in my connecting with presence, in my caring for myself nutritionally and, and all the things. And I can always say that, oh, my practice is not really there, that I haven't been practicing. So my vibration is getting a lower, heavier human part of me. And so I want you to know as intellectually as I know what it takes to access and be part of the being flow in, in this life's journey, if I don't practice it, it's not there. If I don't practice it, I'm not in that flow like I, like I want to be. So what I want to do is share with you on ULM the exact techniques so you can understand this and the exact methods I use. I am also going to be giving, for those of you who show up to, and the link is below, for those of you who show up to the Universal Life Mastery, I am going to give you a gift of my morning routine. I made a masterclass of the exact morning routine practice that I do every single day, and that will be a free gift for you of those of people who show up to the ULM webinar, I will give you that actual masterclass for you. So there's just so many reasons to take part in this. I just want you to know this, that your experience in this lifetime 
can be anything and everything that you choose it to be. You are the only one that can do this for you and you are in control of it. And I want you to know this, that when the world seems like such a heavy place on the outside, and I know it is, I know it is, it is also at the same time can be one of the most magical, loving, incredibly beautiful experiences. It's just a question of if we understand it and how we practice our presence and, and our showing up every single day. So please join me in ULM. And again, if you have any questions, put them below. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ask a Doula Giver. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. I will see you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody.